Hear the word of the Lord from Psalm 1, reading from the Common English Bible. The truly happy person doesn't follow wicked advice, doesn't stand on the road of sinners, and doesn't sit with the disrespectful. Instead of doing those things, these persons love the Lord's instruction, and they recite God's instruction day and night. They are like a tree replanted by streams of water, which bears fruit at just the right time, and whose leaves don't fade. Whatever they do succeeds. That's not true for the wicked. They are like dust that the wind blows away. And that's why the wicked will have no standing in the court of justice. Neither will sinners in the assembly of the righteous. The Lord is intimately acquainted with the way of the righteous. But the way of the wicked is destroyed. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Good to see you all this morning. We, uh, I wanted to look back uh, in music history today. What do you think? You ready to go back in music history today? Let's go back. And one of the things, we look at popular music today, uh, and in the past, you'll see that when, you know, you've got your one-hit wonders, you know, the one-hit wonders, and then you've got, like, people who are so prolific in songwriting and making music that they come up with collections, right? They have whole collections for them. So if you go back to the 1950s, who has a collection from the 1950s of the best of what? Elvis Presley, right? That's what I thought of, right? Elvis Presley, you got the best of collection of Elvis Presley. How about the 60s? What was, what would you get a best of collection in the 60s? Who said the Beatles, right? The Beatles, you had the red album, the blue album, the white album, right? You know, remember those? Some of you? I remember it. Okay. I listened to the Beatles even as a kid, so that was good. Then the 70s, <laughs> what a great decade for music. Uh, the 70s, what happened in the 70s with uh, disco? You know, you could just do John Travolta, right? And so, uh, but I had a collection, the best of the Bee Gees. Remember the Bee Gees, right? All right, how about the 90s? Who would have been the best of collection in the 90s? Right. Who's that? Michael Jackson. Oh, the 80s. Sorry. Yeah, let's go back to the 80s. So, thank you, Jackson. I was sorry. I jumped to the 90s. Michael Jackson, right, would have been the most, one of the most prolific people in the 90s. In the 80s, I'm going to go with my, one of my personal favorites, which is Billy Joel. I grew up listening to Billy Joel, so that was, you get, today, I mean, that guy is still doing stuff today, along with another guy named Bruce Springsteen, you remember that? So that's just a little bit of my 80s music history. Sorry, I digress. Uh, what about the 2000s, like recently, what would be the best of collection? You, you better put a ring on it, right? Come on, Beyonce. I think Beyonce is one of the most, one of those prolific writers, and so you can see through the decades, all these collections of different songs, and, and then you've got like... Uh, even like you'll see the TV commercial, the best of the 70s, right? You can get a, get a digital download. I almost said CD, sorry. Um, CDs are out, sorry. 
uh, but people are collecting LPs now, which is crazy. So, but think about this. So you think about all these best of collections. This summer, we're going to be getting into the best of collection of worship, of song and poetry and wisdom in worship. And it's a book in the Bible called the Psalms. The Psalms is the best of collection. It's the collection that runs. And actually, a lot of these were written from the time of the Exodus. We can find Psalms not just in the book of Psalms, but throughout the Bible. Songs and Psalms and poetry throughout the Bible. And it starts actually all the way back to the Exodus, the time when the people were leaving Egypt. They were in slavery in Egypt, and they left Egypt. And they wrote songs about that. They wrote worship music about that. They wrote poetry about that. And then it goes all the way through past another time period in Israel's history when there was called the exile. They were taken into captivity into Babylon. They were conquered. And there were psalms, and we're actually going to look later this summer at one of the psalms that was written in Babylon when they were held in captivity. And there, there's a song about that, which is one of the famous ones that are it's pretty dark. And we'll take a look at why it was so dark. But we'll see all this, and so it's a collection. They think the collection was wrapped up about the 4th century B.C. So we're looking at some pretty ancient worship and some poetry and songs. But all throughout them, there are different things happening, and we can learn from these different psalms. Now, the reason that we've entitled this series, or the reason I came up with this, entitled this Poetry Emotion, is because if you look at the psalms, and you look at the heart of the psalms, what we see are people who are expressing this deep desire to walk by faith. They're, they're not just saying, they're not just coming in and, and, and just singing a nice song or reading a poetry or doing something artistic, but there are people who are writing in such a way and, and artistic in such a way that they're saying, I want to live by my faith in God. And there are times they're wrestling with God. There are times when they're lamenting and complaining to God. There are other times they're rejoicing and celebrating what God is doing. And there are times when they're trying to teach and instruct things about God. But all of it is about how do we walk by faith. So really our hope, and my hope to the series, is that not only do we study a psalm, but that we'll also be thinking about how do I live this psalm out in my life? How do I put this poetry into motion? How do I put this poetry into my walk and into my faith and into what I'm living as a Christian? So that's why we're, we're calling it this poetry in motion. And we're going to look each week at different psalms. The other preachers that I've invited in, I've asked them to preach about their favorite psalms, and so they're going to bring those this summer as well. We're going to dig into the very first psalm. We start with Psalm 1. We're not going to do all 150 this summer. I'm sorry to disappoint you. Uh, there's that, that many weeks. Um, but anyway, we're going to start digging Psalm 1. And I, so I invite you to pull out your Bibles. Uh, you can pull out, we're going to actually, it's a short psalm, six verses. We'll just walk through these verses together this morning. Pull out CEB. You can pull out your phone. If you have it on your phone, we'll talk about that about in a little bit. Um, and so wherever you want to look at it, we're just going to walk through these verses. We're in the CEB version of the Bible. That's the Contemporary English Bible. And we're going to be using that version. You can look at any version you want. Um, and see, compare some of the ways it may change the translation. But you are welcome. We're going to walk through this week, each summer. And so we're really into a summer Bible study series. So I'm going to encourage you to bring your Bibles to church, whether on your in your pew, in your hand, or on your phone, or wherever you keep your Bible. Uh, bring it with you on Sundays as we walk through these, these psalms. So first two verses. We're going to take a look at the first two verses. It says, the truly happy person doesn't follow wicked advice, doesn't stand on the road of sinners, 
and doesn't sit with the disrespectful. Instead of doing those things, these persons love the Lord's instruction and they recite God's instruction day and night. The psalmist starts out talking about this. This is really what's called a psalm of wisdom, and it's giving us some wisdom to live by. And it's comparing two sources. And the two sources are, the you know, we can listen to advice from people who don't listen to God. Uh, from, we can listen to advice from people who are following wicked ways or are standing among other sinners and listening to them or are mocking or disrespectful about God and God's instruction. So we can, we can listen to those voices in our lives. We can listen to that counsel. That could be a source of wisdom for us. Now, what do you think about when I say, when you think about that arena there, we don't really go around, hey, you know, there are mockers and sinners. We don't, we don't use that language today. But what are some of the sources of wisdom that you think of that are not lined up with God's instructions? What are some sources? I'm, I'm actually throwing it back to you guys right now. What are some sources that come to mind? I know I have some that come to mind, but what are some sources for you? Hollywood. Hollywood. That was the first one that came to mind. Entertainment industry. You know, there, 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 there's advice and counsel coming from that particular industry that we could listen to, but when we begin to compare it to God's instruction, not the same a lot of times. What else? Congress, yeah. Politics, politicians, right? Locally, nationally, you know, a lot of those things, we look at those, those leaders and we say, is this really wise counsel? And are our leaders connected to God's instruction, right? Are they trying to do that? So that's another source that we sometimes, or news media, right, would tie along with that politics. Anything else come to mind? Self-help, right. You know, I, I by the way, I was, this is totally tangent off, but thanks for sharing it. Um, I was at an Amazon bookstore. Now, Amazon was started because it was an online bookstore. And I went to a physical Amazon bookstore. And I thought that was so weird. You know, I'm sorry to Amazon folks, but I was like, that's weird. You know, you, we started with online book selling, and now we're into the, we're actually selling physical books in a store. So I thought that was weird. But anyway, I looked, and there's like this whole self-help section of the store, Right? That's another source. We're t- what are we turning to when we're turning, we're turning to other human beings, right, And as a source, right? And sometimes that can be good wisdom, and sometimes it may or may not, but it's human wisdom. So that's one source. The other source is compared to is the Lord's instruction. Now, in the psalmist's viewpoint, from the psalmist's point of view when this was written, they're looking at the first five books of the law, the Torah, They're talking about Torah law. You and I as Christians today would look at all of Scripture as a source of God's instruction. But in the psalmist's mind, the psalmist is looking to the Torah or the first five books of the Bible called the law. And so it would say this is instruction that we follow. Notice that it says this about those two sources, that the person who follows the Lord's instruction is truly happy. Truly happy. How many people here would like to be truly happy? right? Yeah, all of us, right? What the psalmist is saying is that to be truly happy is to say, I'm going to stop listening to these sources, and I'm going to start listening to God's source, God's revelation, God's instruction. And it's interesting because the Pew Research has found that this is true, that it is reportedly true that people who are actively involved in religion and in faith, people are active. Now, let me, did you hear that word again? I'm going to say it one more time. Active. Active. 
meaning they go to worship, they study the Bible, they pray. Those are active people. And when we're doing that, we're active in our faith. People who are active in their faith are much happier than people who have no faith or are not active in their faith. Pew Research proves this out. In America, it's a difference between 36% of Americans who are active in their faith report being very happy compared to 25% of people who are not active or irreligious or non-religious in their lives will report that. The other thing that Pew found out, Pew Research found out, is that this is global. It doesn't matter where you live. This, This crosses cultures around the world, and they can, you can go in the Pew Research Center and you can see the statistics. Just about every country in the world where they've done this study, it's the same. There's a gap of happiness. And the people who are very happy are the people who are active in their faith compared to the rest of the population. So there's something about this, right? We know it intuitively, those of us who are engaged in it, we, we know this intuitively. And so this is a part of it. And it doesn't mean and we'll talk a little bit about this this morning. It doesn't mean we're always, you know, always got to have a smile on our face and always everything's got to be rosy and everything. That's not the point. And we'll see that from other psalms as we dig through the study this summer. But here are two, two things that that happy person, that person that's active in their faith do. They love. Notice the word love here in the verse. They love the Lord's instruction. They love it. Love it like some chocolate. They love God's word. So they desire it. They want to know more about it. They want to dig into it, right? I remember when I was in seminary, uh, one of our professors uh, said one of our assignments for the semester was to write a paper. And I think it was, I had to put in 40 hours of research on one word in the Bible, one Greek word in the Bible, 40 hours of research on one word, not a verse, not a chapter, one word in Greek, and then I had to write a 20-page paper about that one word. When I got that assignment, I was like, this isn't good. This is, how am I ever going to, like, get in, how am I ever going to find that much information? How am I ever going to write 20 pages? I'm, like, sitting there going, this is insanity, right? And then I got into it, and I had enough and more than enough than a 20-page paper. Because what I found is the more I got into it, the, the more I dug into it, the deeper, there were just layers I had not seen yet. And I think when we love God's word, we'll, deep, we'll deepen our faith. We'll dig into those other layers that we've never seen before because we love it. And I learned to love God's word studying one Greek word in the Bible. And that's part of it. Dig into it. Get active in it. Put your, as we're going to look at, put your roots into it, Right? The other thing that the person who's active does and is happy does is they recite the Scripture. Look at the verse again. How often do they recite the Scripture? Day and night, morning and evening. We know from the book of Daniel that Daniel three times a day would pray and get into God's Word. So we know that this is part of the pattern. There's a rhythm to this, right? Day and night reciting it. I know we have a group here uh, Sue and Kay, I see Kay here. Where's Sue Bodensteiner? Oh, there's Sue. Sorry, Sue. Uh, you guys are still meeting, right? Memorizing scripture. They started that last summer. For a year now, they've been meeting, reciting scripture, memorizing scripture so that it gets into them. They're rooting themselves in that scripture. And so if you want to know more, you talk to Sue. I see Kay's here and some others are here you can talk to. 
uh, as well that are doing that, a part of that group. They're going to continue to do that, but they're reciting it so that it will become a part of who they are and the part of their thinking and the part of their way of life. So let's keep moving. Verse 3. Verse 3 is actually the verse that jumps out at me, and I would say is the key verse in the text today, in the psalm today. I would also encourage you to memorize this one. Every week we're going to have a key verse in our series, and so this will be a verse that you could take home with you, recite day and night, recite, memorize, hold on to. Let's read this one together. They are like a tree replanted by streams of water, which bears fruit at just the right time, and whose leaves don't fade. Whatever they do succeeds. I love the word here in the CEB version, replanted, replanted. I like that idea because it's really making me think that you and I, there are times we need to replant ourselves. Um, I, uh, my wife's birthday came around in a couple weeks ago, and we, have a, we had a holly bush in our front, out front of our house, and it had died over the winter, I think, winter, lacquer moisture, I don't know, I'm not a big gardener person, but it died. So I, I ripped it out. The roots were dry. It had just died. So I thought to myself, I want to plant something else there. And so in honor of my wife's birthday, I went out to the uh, Magnolia Garden Center, and I got the largest rose bush I could find, which had roses blooming on it. It was beautiful. And I just wanted this big rose bush to be in its place. And when you replant something, right, I want you to think about this. What is every time you're, it doesn't matter whether it's a rose bush, a bush, whatever, what's the first thing you do after you get in the ground? You water it, right? Every single time. I read the instructions every time, and it says water. Get, why are we watering? To establish the plant, to get it replanted, to establish its roots, and get those roots to take hold in the soil. And so we water it, and you have to water it a little bit more frequently. Now, the purpose of replanting in the psalmist's mind is that we're going to replant ourselves out of those other sources, right, that we often listen to in the world, and we put those, our plant, our roots into God's word or into God's instruction, and it's a consistent source. So in the psalmist's mind, you have to remember that there could be a plant in a desert area or an area that was totally dependent upon rain, and it was totally dependent upon whether there was rain or no rain, and so that's inconsistent, right? So if you've got to wait for the next rain shower to come into your life to get refreshed, then your roots are going to dry up. But if you're planted by a consistent, constant source of water, what happens to your roots? What happens to your growth? What happens to your flourishing and your fruitfulness, right? And so we know this. We know this from planting plants in nature. What the psalmist is saying is that you and I have to find ways to replant ourselves so that we're into that consistent, constant source of revelation, of God's instruction, of God's, of our faith, and of God as a source of freshening and renewal and strengthening. And so it's about that consistency. Um, so that's an important part of it. So let me ask this question, and I'm going to challenge you a little bit, maybe, maybe not. Where do you keep your Bible? Where do you keep your Bible? You don't have to answer out loud. On your bed, uh, by your bed or on your desk? Um, and on, the bed. on the bed and by the bed. Good. So I was going to say, so I know people who keep it on their bed, their bed stand so that morning and night, right, it's there. I keep mine at the breakfast table. That's where I get up in the morning. It's there when I get up for breakfast and I have my morning devotionals. So it's there for me. It's always in a place 
where I'm going to see it and I'm going to open it, right? If it's on a bookshelf with other books, how often do we read those books on bookshelves? No, they're, they're, we're, those are the books we're done with, right? Those are the books we, we're done reading, right? And so if we're putting our Bible on a shelf, we're saying, I'm done reading it, right? Is the Bible somewhere where I'm going to get exposed to it on a regular basis, on a daily basis? Now, how many people were sitting here thinking, oh, I got my Bible on my phone. It's always with me. How many people thought that? All right, let me check with you a little bit. All right, Bible phone people. How many apps do you have on your phone? In fact, why don't you pull out your phones right now? Pull uh, Interaction, right? How many apps do you have on your phone? And I, I'm going to, you guys are going to all try and count, I know. Mine, I can hold like, um, I can hold, let's see, on my home screen, or my screen, I can hold uh, eight, eight, uh, 20 apps on each screen, and then I've got maybe five or six screens. I've actually counted, I've got 85 apps on my phone, 85. If I have a Bible app, where's my Bible app on my phone? Is it buried in those 85 somewhere where I never really see it? Or what I, I would encourage you to do if you're one of the people on your phone, here's what I'm going to encourage you to do. I've got the Bible app on my home screen. It's the very first screen. And here's the other thing I do with my home screen. I don't put all the apps on my home screen. I only have 10 apps. These are my essential. I put my essential apps on my first screen because I don't want to be distracted by the other 75 apps, right? And so those are the essential apps. Is, your, is the Bible one of your essential apps on your first screen? Or is it buried somewhere? Because again, this is about replanting ourselves, exposing ourselves, getting God's word, making God's word available to us on a regular daily basis. So think about that. Let's keep moving on in the psalm. Let's look at verses 4 and 5 together. Again, the comparison goes on. That's not true for the wicked. They are like dust that the wind blows away, and that's why the wicked will have no standing in the court of justice, neither will sinners in the assembly of the righteous. So again, the psalmist is comparing the way of the people who are following and actively following the Lord's instruction versus the people who are not following the Lord's instruction or are following other ways and wicked ways and talks about how they're, they're not successful, right? So the person who follows the Lord's instruction is successful. The wicked are not successful. And remember, this is wisdom in general. Because actually what we'll read later in Psalms, we'll read Psalms that talk about why are the wicked successful and not the righteous? Why, why are they prospering and here I am being faithful and loyal to you, God, and why aren't I successful? Have you ever thought that? Like, have you ever wondered like that? And the psalmist, there's, there are psalms that actually uh, write and talk about that as well. So I thought about that, you know, is here's giving us this general wisdom, and I would say in general, this is true. Pew Research backs up. This is generally true. But you and I also know there are times when we can be in God's word, we can be faithful and loyal to God and seeking God, and our life is falling apart. Does that mean that we're doing something wrong? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think it's even more important in those times of our lives to be planted by that stream. Those are the times we actually need to be by the stream. We need to plant our roots in that stream and to be there because it's not about necessary success as you and I see success. I'm also reminded what Jesus said about the righteous and the wicked. He said this in Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, 
referring to God. He makes the sun rise on both the evil and the good and sends rain on both the righteous and the unrighteous. What Jesus is saying is that it, you know, no matter how you're living your life, the sun shines on you and the rain falls on you. It's same with a plant. You know, you're going to have the sun fall on all the plants. You're going to have the rain fall on all the plants, regardless of how those plants are growing or what's happening to them. And so God is going to send it out to everyone. The question for us is how do we weather when the storms come? How do we weather when those circumstances change, when things, not, things aren't going well? How do we deal with that? If you have ever studied giraffes, I have not, but I did this week. <laughs> giraffes, when a giraffe is born, think about this. How tall is a giraffe? Right? Have you ever gone to, if you've gone to the zoo and seen a giraffe, giraffe is pretty tall and it's a lot of long legs, right? So when a baby giraffe is born, if first thing that happens to a baby giraffe when it's born is it falls 10 feet to the ground. You know, we're, we're not talking, there's no NICU unit, there's no nurse there. There's not, the, the baby giraffe just falls out like, and falls on its back and it lands on the ground. And then the mother of the baby giraffe hovers over the baby giraffe. And then after a few moments, what does the mother do? Kicks the baby giraffe. So you've just fallen 10 feet and now you're getting kicked by your mother. And the mother repeatedly kicks the baby giraffe periodically to try and stimulate the baby giraffe to get up on its own legs, right? This is very important, right? And so finally, the baby struggles. The baby hopefully gets up on all four legs wobbly. And you know what the mother does next? Kicks out the legs from under the baby. <laughs> why is the mother doing this? Isn't this cruel? Well, you and I, I mean, why is not... You know, why aren't the animal rights people all over the giraffes about this, right? <laughs> like, well, isn't this cruel? Is this cruel or is this love? Is this cruel or is this love? I would say to you it's love. Because what the mother giraffe knows is that there are lions and leopards and hyenas in the world. And if this baby can't get up and stand on its own two legs and run alongside its mother, it will not survive. It's preparing the, the, the baby giraffe for adversity. <laughs> it's preparing the giraffe for adversity. I think there are times when God's word is not just about us being in the good times, but I think there are times when we replant ourselves and plant ourselves in God's word, in God's revelation, that it helps us deal with adversity. It strengthens us for adversity. It doesn't mean that we want adversity or that we pray for adversity, but it strengthens us for times of adversity. Because here's the point. Growth and fruitfulness are a result, not a reward. It's a result of our faithfulness. It's a result of our keeping ourselves rooted in God's revelation. It's a, it's a result of us. It's not a reward. It's not success. You know, we think of success as a reward. But really it's about continuing to grow and continue to be fruitful even in the face of adversity in our life. That's what God is preparing us for. And then the last verse, verse 6 the Lord is intimately acquainted with the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked is destroyed. The good news here is God knows. <laughs> That's good news. God is intimately, when we're active in our faith, when we are seeking God, when we are, in, when we are praying and dealing and studying God's word, I believe that's when God shows up in our lives. 
God will be intimate with us. God will be acquainted with us. God will be in relationship with us. Because here's the thing I've learned about God. I don't know, this is out of my own experience. My experience with God is this, that when I don't want God around, you know what God does? God says, well, let me know, Matt, when you want me around. I'll wait for you. And then when I'm in the word, when I'm praying, when I'm seeking God, God says, all right, I'll be with you because you want me to be with you. You want me in your life, right? And I don't think God forces God's way into our lives. I think God comes when God sees that we're wanting that relationship, when we're desiring that relationship, that God doesn't force God's self into that into us and into our, our life. And I think, and then sometimes we wonder, you know, I feel people like wonder, we're like, I, I wish I, God would just tell me what to do, or I wish I just had a sign. And, and I'm like, well, how's your relationship with God? Have you been talking to God? Have you been listening to God, right? God can't speak into our lives if we're not open and listening and available and in relationship with God. You know, I was, and, and here's the thing, the good news is this, that the psalmist is saying is, God will show up if you call. God will answer if you invite the question. And here's the other beautiful thing about God, is if you have questions and doubts and you're wrestling with things in your life and my life, God shows up. God answers those questions. I was just recently, a few weeks ago, I was uh, woke up in the middle of the night and I was just, you know, tossing and turning about things. And I will, I'll be honest with you, I was just kind of had, my spirit was in a discour- place of discouragement. And so I got up in the middle of the night and I couldn't sleep. So I said, you know, what better thing to do? Because prayer always puts me to sleep. So I'll pray, right? So I got out of my bed and I knelt down by the bed. I just started to pray. You know, I just started to just lay out what was on my heart to God and just kind of share the doubts with God, share the discouragement with God, just share. And basically what I end up doing when I'm praying is I just talk to God like I would talk to somebody like next to me, right? And so as I'm praying and I'm laying all this out before God, I finally say, amen, get back into bed. And I'm, you know, there's no, you know, no, no reply, so to speak. Email's been sent. So the next morning, what do I do when I get up in the morning? I get into God's Word, right? I get up and I get into God's Word. And one of the things as a part of my devotion or part of getting into God's Word, I also had brought along with me, um, I've been reading a, a book about the Psalms from Eugene Peterson, which you've refer, I've referred to before called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And he was talking about Psalm 125. And in Psalm 125, God is described as the mountains and how the mountains encircle Jerusalem. If you look at Psalm 125, the mountains encircle Jerusalem. And the mountains in encircling Jerusalem, God is our mountains, the mountains surrounding us, right? You know what I thought of when I thought not only of Jerusalem? What what other city might I have thought of? Seattle. There are days I go out and I can see Mount Baker and Mount Rainier, and the Olympic Mountains, and the Cascades, and I am surrounded by mountains. And as a reminder of Psalm 125, that God is always with us, encircling us. And so even though I had these doubts and things, Eugene Peterson, in a great pastoral way, started to unpack all those doubts, and he said, and he was basically saying, yeah, we all have doubts, we all have moods that we get into, we all have 
uh, funks that we fall into. And the psalmists are not, you're going to see that as you read through the psalms. The psalmists are all over the place with their moods and their laments and their joys and their sorrows. But here's what, I, what stuck with me, and this is the quote from Eugene Peterson I want to share with you that stuck with me. He said, discipleship is a decision to live by what I know about God, not by what I feel about him or myself or my neighbors. It's what we know about God. That's where our faith comes from. Our faith comes from trusting in what we know about God. How are you going to know God without God's word? How are you and I going to know God and the promises of God and the loyalty of God and the love of God and the value of God in our lives if we're not reading into, planted, rooted into God's word? So I want to encourage you this morning. I want to encourage you. I don't know where you're at in relationship to God's instructions, God's word this morning, but I want to encourage you that just as poetry has a rhythm you know, meter, poetry has rhythm to it. Your, and I, my, our lives were created to have rhythm. We're to have rhythm in our lives. And so where is God's word in the rhythm of your life? Where is it in your everyday life? And what are some things that you could do to expose yourself more to God's word, to God's instruction, to God's wisdom, to God as the source of wisdom in your life what would that look like? And so what would, what would be a rhythm for you? Now, I find that people are all over the place on this. You know, I'm, a, I'm not a morning person, but I find that reading Scripture in the morning helps me for the whole day. Some people like to read at night. The psalmist says day and night, so you might want to try that if you're not doing that. Find a rhythm that works for you. Here's the point. It's not about legalism. It's not like, oh, I had my time in the Word today. I read it. You know, it's not about checking a box. It's about finding the rhythm of daily life where God's, you're exposing yourself to God's word. It might be in the car, listening to the Bible on audio. There are all different ways to do this. Find your rhythm. So just starting, and here's what I'd suggest you to do if you want to find that rhythm. Start with the Psalms. I will find myself in my devotional life just taking a psalm a day. There's 150 of Psalms that you can read and just take a psalm a day. You could read it in the morning and again at night. If it's a longer psalm, you could read part of it in the morning, part of it at night before you go to bed. Find a rhythm. Get into God's word. Memorize the verse this week. Plant yourself. Replant yourself in God's word today. Let's pray together.